Hey everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, my name's Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? Oh, I'm doing okay. Not as well as I'm gonna be doing, though. Because I just came up with a money-making scheme that's gonna make me richer than a ham stuffed with cookies. I'm gonna make the most popular video game of all time. See, Lisa's been playing this game that I understand is quite popular, called The Last of Us. And in it, you have to deal with the aftermath of a deadly global pandemic. Such escapist fun! Anyway, watching Lisa play this made me realize that I think all popular video games are based on things that I personally never want to do in real life. I mean, most video games seem to revolve around, you know, running or jumping or hurting people or stepping on turtles, which are all things that I definitely don't want to do. But I think maybe the best example is the game Animal Crossing, which I've had a lot of people tell me is super fun. And you know what? I'm sure that it is. But the way people have tried to sell me on it makes me have the same reaction that I had when people in college would try to convince me that I should try various party drugs. They'd be like, no, no, it's really great. You see, you're gonna, you wanna curl into a ball in the corner and make sure that nobody touches or talks to you for like three hours, but it's gonna feel like 12 hours. It's awesome. And I would be like, oh, well, no, thank you. I don't believe I will try this nightmare you're describing. It's the same thing with Animal Crossing. People are like, no, it's great. You do a lot of chores, and then you talk to your landlord, and there's an HOA, and you give money to a raccoon. Now, I promised myself a long time ago I was never going to give money to another raccoon. Jerry knows what he did. But I am now convinced that there is a market for video games based specifically on things that I personally do not want to do in real life. So I give you HubQuest, the new Smash video game hit of this upcoming video game season. In level one, you have to talk to a stranger on the phone. Then there's a bonus level where you edit a podcast. Then you have to take part in a discussion about whether or not a certain piece of media is art with a capital A. If you click this over to hard mode, you have to have this conversation while you're sober. Then it's time for the final boss battle. You have to talk to my dad about feelings. Remember, R1 is for deflect. And for this final boss battle, sarcasm is disabled. Happy gaming! And may the odds be ever in your favor. Anyway, I got some time to kill while we're waiting for the royalties on that game that I haven't made yet to roll in. So, let's talk about a comic book. Without any further ado... Let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme was submitted a little while ago by Devin Tuhey, but I am terrible at collating these things. Sorry about that. As we deal with this troubled, unprecedented time, Hub says he needs a new synopsis rhyme. I thought I'd provide a couple of instances of how our heroes are keeping social distances. Steve in his sanctum has himself sequestered, Watching his flame ghosts, he will not be pestered. The Hulk has stockpiled on many a bean, but he left some for others, for he is not mean. 
Raven's delighted by this opportunity to hang out in her rock dimension with total impunity. Donna, meanwhile, is counseling online for those who are not feeling quite so fine. She tells them to get over it, but she means well. It's hard living in this pandemic hell. Kyle and Gar, however, want to reopen the economies of Marvel and DC, for they are big dummies. So keep six feet apart, or stay home if you can, sir. Don't be like Jericho or Coriander. Keep a mask on outside. It helps stop the virus. Now wash your hands and hear this synopsis. Thanks, Devin. New Teen Titans, Volume 2, Number 23, August 1986. Loser Take All. Written by Marv Wolfman, drawn by Eduardo Barreto, inked by Romeo Tangal, lettered by John Costanza, colored by Adrian Roy, and edited by Marv Wolfman. Teen Titan Roll Call. Starfire. That's pretty much it. Previously in the New Teen Titans. When Starfire, a.k.a. Princess Coriander, was 12 years old, her planet Tamaran was invaded by a race of slave-mongering farty space lizards called the Gordanians. Coriander's shitty dad, King Meander, managed to broker an uneasy peace with the reptilian reprobates under which he would retain nominal rule of the planet if he didn't step too far out of line. The unfortunate caveat to this capitulation was that Starfire would be placed in Gordanian custody as their slave. Shitty. Meander wasn't thrilled with this deal, but he handed over Coriander and went on to rule Vichy Tamaran for the better part of a decade. After years of abuse at the hands of her cruel Gordanian overlords, Starfire eventually escaped and joined up with our titular teenage team. Hooray! Then, a little while ago, a spaceship from Tamaran arrived on Earth and informed Starfire that the Gordanians had finally cleared out and that she was cordially invited to return home for a visit. The spicy space princess was overjoyed at this news and decided to bring her boyfriend Nightwing, a.k.a. Dick Grayson, along for the ride. But when the happy couple arrived at their destination, they were dismayed to learn that King Meander harbored an ulterior motive for facilitating this family reunion. It turned out that Tamaran was in the throes of a bloody civil war, and since leveraging his daughter's autonomy for political power seemed to be the only arrow in Meander's diplomatic quiver, he had arranged for Starfire to marry the son of his main rival in order to solidify his position as king. Shitty! Coriander's intended fiancé, Captain Carras, who I call Captain Papadopoulos for reasons that I no longer recall, wasn't any happier about this arranged marriage than Starfire was, but both parties agreed to proceed with a ceremony for the good of the planet. A few days later, the wedding took place, but soon after the vows were exchanged, rebellion forces, led by Starfire's evil but awesomely named sister, Princess Commander, attacked the wedding reception and seized control of the planet. Commander, who occasionally went by the significantly less rad than her actual name pseudonym Blackfire, had been passed over for succession to the throne because she was born without the ability to fly, and had resented the rest of her family for her entire life. A few years ago, she started working with the Gordanians, and briefly recaptured Starfire for them, then apparently died in an explosion. The not-so-dead-after-all power-hungry princess now declared herself queen, and while the nation watched on space TV, loaded the rest of the royal family onto a spaceship, which they were told was headed to the planet Okara where they would be retrained as warriors and taught to be less shitty. Soon after the vessel launched, however, Coriander blew it up! Oh no! 
The new queen feigned grief for her adoring public at her family's apparent demise, but unbeknownst to her, Starfire and the rest of the royals escaped the ship at the very last minute and headed to Okara, where they were soon joined by Nightwing and Captain Papadopoulos, who had managed to escape from Blackfire's prison. As the newlyweds trained in battle to ready themselves to invade Tamaran and take back their planet, Dick celebrated an unhappy birthday by sullenly nursing a cup of coffee while he watched his now ex-girlfriend and her new husband grow closer. Eventually, the angst-ridden acrobat could take no more. He headed back to Earth to lash out angrily at the rest of his teammates. Bye, Dick! Distraught at Dick's departure, Starfire sought solace in the arms of her new husband, with whom, at the advice of her mother, Cardamom, she finally boned down. Unsettling! A few weeks passed and Starfire and her forces finally felt sufficiently trained. They launched their attack on Tamaran, intent on restoring justice by squashing the rebellion and reinstating as monarch the unpopular king who collaborated with slave traders and stripped his eldest daughter of her birthright because she was born with a disability. Gadzooks! What injustices has Blackfire's evil administration imposed on her people during her brief reign as queen? Will Starfire and Papadopoulos live happily ever after? And what political strategy will Meander use now that sacrificing his daughter's freedom is off the table? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so setting up public works projects which improve irrigation in rural areas and redistribute food to hungry families? No. And unconditional surrender. Queen Commander sits on her throne and broods darkly. She's like, I can't believe Coriander is being such a jerkhole. I mean, sure, I tried to kill her. A few times. And yes, she suffered horrific physical and psychological torture at my hands. And I did hunt her down and turn her over to the slave traders who had horribly abused her throughout her adolescence. Twice. And I guess technically I did try to blow up this whole solar system, but... Wait, I actually forgot where I was going with this. Oh yes, that doesn't mean I shouldn't run a planet. I've actually been doing a pretty good job at this shit. Who'd have guessed that a lifetime of super villainous pursuits would be such good training for a career in politics? While her evil sister ruminates on her surprising competence as a world leader, Starfire flies around and blows shit up. As she does so, she thinks to herself about how much it sucks that the planet she grew up on is going to be ravaged by war. Then she goes back to ravaging the planet by waging her war. She tries not to kill people as she blows stuff up, and thinks about how she used to kill people all the time, but the time she spent on Earth taught her that killing people is probably a bad thing to do. Huh. I mean, yeah, no, good lesson and all, but are we talking about the same... Earth here? Is it possible there's another planet named Earth off in the Crab Nebula or something, where maybe she spent a semester abroad and it's those guys who really respect sentient life? Yeah, that's probably it. When Starfire is done exploding buildings for the morning, the possibly less lethal than she used to be princess meets back up with Prince Papadopoulos and the rest of her army. Papadopoulos is like, well, we asked the mayors of a whole bunch of cities if they wanted to help us overthrow your sister, but they all seem to think that she's doing a pretty good job. Coriander's younger brother, Ryander, pipes up and is like, Yeah, plus dad was a pretty crappy king. 
A lot of people were bummed out that he just rolled over for the farty space Godzillas like he did. I guess handing your preteen daughter over to slave traders wasn't exactly the brilliant PR move that he thought it was. Also, he thought it would reflect poorly on the royal family if people knew that Commander was doing evil shit, so he always hushed that stuff up, so now nobody knows that she's evil. When Starfire hears that, she gets super pissed and is like, I know I just came to the realization that killing is probably bad, but you know what? Fuck that. I'm gonna go kill Blackfire. And maybe some other people, too. Back in the capital city, Commander is planning her battle strategy when some old guys from the, I guess, Space Senate come to talk to her. A bald guy with a headband is like, Look, it seems like you're pretty evil and we're not crazy about that. But you've displayed a baseline competence at governing for the past few weeks, which is, frankly, unprecedented on this planet. So we'd like to chat with you about a few things. Got a minute? Grudgingly, Commander concedes that she has, in fact, got a minute. Meanwhile, in space, a cargo ship is approaching Tamaran filled with emergency supplies that Commander has requested for her newly war-torn planet. Some space cops pull the ship over and search it, just in case it might be smuggling weapons to the rebels. The new rebels, that is. The ones who used to be in charge, as a opposed to the old rebels, who are now in charge. Anyway, the ship doesn't have any weapons on it, so the space cops take off. Hooray! Once they're gone, two crew members who had been welding a piece of random machinery on the bridge remove their welding masks and reveal that they are actually shitty old King Meander and Queen Carta Mom. The captain's like, Okay, the cops are gone. Please stop welding random things together. Some of the machinery on the bridge of the spaceship is actually kind of important. We're going to beam you down to Tamarind now before you blow anything up. Good luck regaining the mantle of leadership that you are almost uniquely unsuited for. And with that, Meander and Cardamom are beamed to the rebel, that's the new rebel again, headquarters. Coriander enthusiastically greets her parents and is like, I'm so glad you're okay. Dad, are you ready to get your throne back? Meander is like, No, nobody likes me. I guess competent leadership is some kind of new fad or something, and the commoners seem to be going gaga over it. Let's give up. I'm sleepy and sad. When Starfire hears this, she gets super pissed off and flies off to blow stuff up, kill her sister, and put her shitty dad back in charge whether he likes it or not. She heads straight for the munitions factory and explodes the shit out of it, killing a whole bunch of people. Back in the capital, Blackfire is done with her little chat with the space senators. She hears about her building and the soldiers in it going kablooey and rushes off to confront her sister. As the two Tamaranian princesses each prepare to commit sororicide, Meander and Cardamom head off to have their own discussion with the space senate. Hmm... Blackfire soon finds Coriander, standing over the smoking remains of a weapons depot, and the two sisters start whooping the shit out of each other. Commander is like, Just let me run the planet! I'm only evil because my family always treated me like shit! Starfire is like, No, we only treated you like shit because you're evil. You turned me over to slave traders! Blackfire's like, So did Dad! It's practically a family tradition! The fight goes on for a while, but eventually Starfire gets the upper hand and is about to kill her sister once and for all, when from above her, 
a shitty, regal, capitulation-prone voice rings out and decrees, Knock it off, Coriander. I demand that you stop murdering your sister. Starfire looks up and sees that above her, her dad, Meander, is standing aboard a hover car, flanked by Cardamom and the headband guy from the Space Senate. Starfire is like, Seriously? Are you sure? Because I'd really like to murder her. But Senator Headband says, We talked about it and decided that your dad really sucks at being king, so we'd all like Commander to keep running the planet. We know she's an evil piece of shit who tried to blow up the solar system, but what can you do? It's a two-party system. Or a monarchy. Sometimes I forget the difference. Commander is like, sweet. But Senator Headband is like, uh-uh-uh, not so fast. Here's the deal. You get to rule the planet, but absolutely no murdering your family. In fact, I think you all have to live together in a big house or something. Commander and the rest of the royal family all agree that that sounds like a totally reasonable plan. Except for Starfire, who's like, fuck that. This planet is bullshit. It's almost as bad as Earth. Harsh. Cardamom takes her aside and tells her, Look, I know this seems stupid, but on this planet, we make all of our decisions based purely on emotion. Wait, so you've had a few decades of rule based on, I don't know, ineffectual self-pity? And that didn't work out, so you thought you'd give vindictive rage a shot? Starfire is like, I don't want to live in a place governed by entitled irrational anger and illogical self-aggrandizement. I'm moving back to America. Uh, yeah. Papadopoulos is like, oh, can I come too? And Starfire's like, no, you're a nice guy, but I'm tired of being married to you. Go back to your old girlfriend. Papadopoulos is like, okay. Reander offers to give his sister a lift, so they hop in his spaceship and head to Earth, which is hopefully where the next story takes place. I mean... I like a good space story as much as the next guy, but sometimes I have trouble suspending my disbelief for some of the more far-fetched, implausible science fiction-y concepts, like the one in this comic. I mean, I can deal with the spaceships and the ray guns, but a senator who takes decisive action which he thinks will benefit his constituents? Okay. And as... Eagle-brained listeners will remember, Corey thought he saw a bee and has been hiding under the bed for two weeks. It turned out it was just a piece of lint, and so Corey has emerged, triumphant, from under the bed. So joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how's it going? Much better, I gotta tell you. I am not a fan of biting or stinging insects. Nor am I. So, all good. Actually, I kind of like bees. They're, they're okay. If one of them is going to take a swipe at you, then they got to mean it because they got that one and done policy in terms of uh, stabbing you. Mm -hmm. As far as insects that uh, are potentially painful go, bumblebees, I'm a fan. Yeah, bumblebees and, and honeybees aren't, aren't so bad, but at a distance, it could be a yellow jacket or uh, one of those ground hornets. Oh. Which those have yellow and black stripes, so... I'm not taking any chances, man. Understandable. They're stylish, but deadly. Or at least, very painful. Yeah, super uncomfortable. 
Yeah, no thanks. How are you doing? Pretty good. I have a nice strong cup of coffee. I feel like I'm in that that sweet spot of uh, caffeination where I'm still going to be largely coherent, but just maybe a little bit um, faster than usual. Excellent. I have difficulty telling how caffeinated I am right now because I actually got dosed by Safeway. What? I was buying some of their store brand, like, off-license LaCroix, fucking Monsieur Bubbleo or whatever it's called. <laughs> and Somebody just came I up bu- with a handful of coffee and was like, hey, man, take a dip. No, it's in the water. I didn't know. What? I didn't read the fine print, or actually, in this case, the fairly large print on the can that said, like, uh, blood orange flavor, caffeine added. Caffeinated water. I know. I was just, I was not expecting it. It didn't occur to me that that was a possibility. And I offered one to Lisa and she was like, no, I don't want to be up all night. I'm like, what are you talking about? Because you'll have to pee. And I was like, oh, oh, that's why I've been a little bit off all week. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, that would do it. I mean, to be fair, that's one reason why I've been at least a little bit off all week. Well, it's good to have something. I agree. Uh, speaking of having something, what we got is a comic book to talk about. Pretty smooth segue, huh? That was nice. Thanks. You want to talk about a comic book? Yeah, I would love to. Corey, what did you think of this comic book? Aw, man. So, starting with a classic Perez cover, which totally kicks ass, it's kind of a non-stop action, and finally some sense of uh, resolution. Nothing we didn't see coming? I don't know. What what were your thoughts on that? Were you surprised by the twist at the end? Or was it not a twist? Not particularly. I think that they had actually set it up in advance that that was where this was going, which, I mean, I didn't need to be surprised by it. I It was a satisfying resolution for the most part, and I appreciated it. Yeah, overall, I thought it was good. It was kind of refreshing to have just a single story that you don't need a ton of backstory to appreciate that it's just like nope focus on one character and one of these subplots that we established a while ago and let's clear that off of the way and then we can proceed with other things and yeah i appreciated it yeah same here you're absolutely right about the cover it is gorgeous In fact, the interior art throughout is gorgeous, Uh, but there's a couple of specific things about the cover that I noticed. First of all, just like the detail on Starfire and how angry she looks is awesome. Her mouth specifically is just like, oh shit, she is pissed off. Yeah, if somebody's snarling such that you can see the tops of their bottom molars, that's some scary business, man. Yeah. Also, they have apparently a pretty decent dental plan on Tamaran, so that's nice. Yeah, good teeth. Also, the fonts. We've talked about the, like, dedicated logo for Starfire, uh, which we see again on this cover, and I really do like that with the little, like, gleaming bits on the vowels, like starburst things. But then we get one for Blackfire, and it is remarkably similar to the Conan the Barbarian font. I was just thinking that, yeah. I thought that was really interesting, and you see that kind of followed through on the interior. The very first page is so reminiscent of the end of Conan the Destroyer that, like, sets up Conan the King that I was like, I feel like that kind of has to be intentional. Gosh, I didn't think to check 
the timing on it. I, were those contemporary with one another? Not really contemporary. I think Conan the Destroyer came out, I think, two or three years before this, but it still would have been kind of in the realm of possibility, certainly. And in the world of comic books, I think the Conan comic books were still going strong at this point, too. But it really does have that same feel where she's sitting on the throne and she's got her staff that has like a skull on top of it. And it's kind of sword and sorcery looking. And just, yeah, coupled with the font of the Blackfire being so similar to the Conan font, I was like, that's actually really cool. It is cool. And I thought that was a great opening scene because she is just like sitting on that throne like a total boss. <laughs> just, mm-hmm. But also looking kind of like, eh. Yeah, you get kind of the same vibe that that one guy in Miller's Crossing had when he was like, poof, running things. Not all it's cracked up to be. Yeah. So as much as I appreciated the cover, the interior art was also amazing, and I didn't find myself missing Perez. In fact, I was glad that it was Eduardo Barreto for a couple of reasons. First of all, he just does throughout a tremendous job and really makes Tamaran seem to pop. Tamaran itself seems to be almost a character in this book in the same way you hear that bullshit about like, really, New York is the third lead in this movie. But you do kind of get that about Tamaran. But the other thing is, he's not afraid to kind of ugly up his characters a little bit in a way that I think really works in this issue, which you never really see from Perez. Mm. The fights specifically between Starfire and Blackfire, when it like comes down to their epic battle, you see blood and sweat and in a couple of instances just like Blair Witch style snot coming out of the two main characters noses and just like all over their faces and it really works and it seemed not necessarily gritty but like real in a way that you don't always get especially from the like alien characters and I thought that worked really well. Yeah absolutely the art goes out of its way to show you the seriousness of the fight and the emotion that's wrapped up with it. It was one of the most compelling fight sequences I've I've seen in this series. Yeah, th- this is almost like the they live of comic books, too, because most of the issue is just an extended fight scene mm-hmm. in a way that I actually kind of enjoyed and felt earned by the story that set it up. They're all out of bubblegum. <laughs> I would have liked to have seen Keith David show up and maybe would have been nice if somebody got suplexed into some garbage cans. But other than that, pretty good. Pretty good. I know. That's a that's a high bar. Speaking of high bars, apparently King Meander did not set one for leadership. No, not really. I mean, there was one particular line where the elder who I got a lot to say about this guy later, basically is just like, you guys don't understand what a great job Commander has been doing. I mean, not a great job, but she's been vaguely competent for three weeks. I've never seen leadership like this. Yeah, that, and I don't know, it was though refreshing to hear Meander finally um, be like, you know what, actually, I kind of suck at this, so... He sure does. So I actually came up with a new name for him because, you know, we decided that uh, Luander 
Starfire's mom is her Carta mom. I think we need a new spice-related name for Meander, because he's moving into a new phase in his life. And you see that these names... We had a flashback one where we find out when, that when he was a kid, he didn't go by Meander. You get mm -hmm. your apostrophe and a new version of your name when you assume a different role within the society. So I think instead of Meander, his new name should be Dillweed. Because <laughs> that guy's a fucking Dillweed. So he gets two um, apostrophes? Yeah, well, he's, a, he's an elder statesman now. The Dillweed. Okay. God, what a fucking dillweed. I continue to be very frustrated and annoyed by him. Tamarin in general just seems like a fucking nightmare. In the sense that they're ruled by their emotions, or? That's part of it, but I mean, we see what a kind of fucked up world it is, that they really want to engage in warfare all the time and don't feel like themselves unless they're doing battle against someone, and that's why they hated King Dillweed. And... Like I said, just the fact that, yes, three weeks of vaguely competent leadership is unprecedented. And I don't know, like the fact that Starfire keeps describing it as a paradise is so absurd, given what we have seen of this planet and the way that it is run. And yeah, also, like you said, there is the quote that is the one that actually made me be like, oh, fuck, I would hate living on this planet so very much. Tamarin is a planet of emotions. They guide us, and they are never wrong. I, I think I had, a, like, an, an out loud reaction <laughs> when I read that. I'm like, <laughs> ah! It, it sounds like a fucking nightmare. Yep. And also just inaccurate. Yeah! Like, trust your, trust your gut, sure. Mm -hmm. But... In retrospect, I mean, how many times have you been just like, man, I was so mad about that stupid thing, and now I don't even remember what the thing was, right? Like, a day later. Or even in this issue, you have, like, Starfire being like, I am so pissed off at my sister, I'm gonna go blow up that munitions factory and kill a bunch of innocent citizens. Like, well, she was angry, so I guess she was right to do that. Yeah, emotions are never wrong. Yep. Sorry. Mm. I mean, I guess not sorry. Because, yeah, that, that's what my emotions told me to do. Yep. Bad policy. Bad policies in general. The politics of the planet just seem really fucked up in a lot of ways. Also, I know I keep harping on this, but when that ruler said, like, for the past three weeks you've been doing this, the fact that we have seen this story tease out over so many issues, which we're reading at one every other week, but as they were coming out, we're coming out once a month. The compression of time. The fact that it has only been three weeks that Commander has been in charge. I was like, oh, fuck. I remember when I was in junior high, uh, I was fucking up a lot. And my vice principal called me into the office and the school year was almost done. And he said, look, Nathan, it's only eight weeks. You can do eight weeks shoveling shit down at the horse yard. Whoa. So, yeah, three weeks is not a lot of time. Also, in retrospect, that is a kind of inappropriate thing for a vice principal to say to an eighth grader. Yeah, um, I, I don't quite understand it. Was he saying, like, like you can get it together, it's not that much time? Or was there, like, literally horses you had were going to be forced to clean up after? No, no, no. These were metaphorical horses and metaphorical horse shit. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I think he was just saying... Look, this school year is almost over, and then I won't have to deal with you anymore. Just fucking keep your head down for two months, and we're good. I see. 
Yeah, those are all valid points. Although I think just in light of everybody's experience of the last three weeks or so in the <laughs> real world, it can seem like a long time and some solid leadership would have gone a long way. Well noted. Yeah. That being said, the fact that Starfire considers this world a paradise, given what we have seen of it, I think does kind of make sense. And it does seem like, to an extent, the comic book is addressing the kind of sheltered and privileged position that Starfire came from in terms of her upbringing. You know, until her shitty dad, King Dillweed, sold her into slavery when she was 12. But, like, from her perspective, her memories of Tamaran are not just that of a child, but as a child who is the preferred child of a royal family who never really witnessed all of the shittier aspects of the planet. Yep, there's that. And then the other thing that kind of creeped me out about this paradise is that everything is surveilled and, and reported in such a way that it had this feel of reality show to it. So at the end in that final fight scene where Starfire is really intent on getting Blackfire to admit that she's just in it for herself and doesn't really care about the planet, she's doing so so that apparently, you know, everybody that's watching will hear her make that admission. Mm -hmm. And that also was freaky to me. Yeah, it does kind of make sense, though, that it would be a reality show of a planet. First of all, in the sense that it seems like a total shit show of a place. And also, maybe that's why the elder advisor headband guy thinks that it's a good idea to have King Dillweed and the royal family live with Blackfire. Because I gotta say, it doesn't seem like it would necessarily make me a chiller person if I had to have an estranged ableist father who was completely infuriating and disapproves of me living with me. I know, she's going to be like, oh, Dad, I'm so mad at you, I want to put you on a spaceship and blow you up again. Yeah, and if her emotions tell her to do that, then she'll be right to do it. But if you are talking about a reality show, then I can see why he would want to boost ratings by creating more tension and keeping the more problematic characters like King Dillweed around and especially putting him in concert with a violent sociopath like Blackfire. Oh, the ratings will go through the roof. Exactly. So, yeah, there's a lot about this alleged paradise that seems a little bit off, more than a little bit off. One of the things that I find most infuriating about King Dillweed, and which does go as far as it can to making Blackfire a somewhat sympathetic character, is how fucked up it was that they decided, oh, she can't fly, so, well, she can't be leader of the country, and told her that at a very young age. And not only told her that, but as we've seen, like, when you have your space bot mitzvah or whatever, you get a new version of your name. So after it had been established that though she was in line to have succession and rule the planet, she could not rule the planet because they're a bunch of ableist fucks, they then went and named her Commander. That is super fucked up. Was that just a little fun joke they were having? Oh man, it sounds cruel, doesn't it? I Yeah, she is sympathetic for sure in the sense that her speech about, like, every time Dad looked at me, it was with, you know, disappointment. 
Mm-hmm. Totally. I mean, I don't think she's making that up. No, that seems absolutely in line with what we have seen of Tamaran. And I feel it's been pretty clearly established that nobody on that damn planet has a poker face. So I'm coming down with definitely not a paradise, although it does also just seem like maybe Marv Wolfman really likes that word. Maybe that's his version of, I remember being a kid and reading the Piers Anthony novels and just being like, wow, he really likes Bailiwick and Demesens or Demain. I'm not sure how either of those words is pronounced, because I don't think I've ever seen anyone else say them, but those are his favorites. I think Paradise is Marv Wolfman's bailiwick. Mm. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. They're all in the same hypnogord. <laughs> totally. The artwork in here is great. There was a couple parts where I couldn't quite sort out what the intent of the the body language or the expression was. Did you have any things like that that jumped out at you? Not immediately. What pages are you talking about? So again, my copy doesn't have page numbers, so I'm kind of imagine if you're looking at one without ads, it would be like maybe page 10. It's where Blackfire is arguing with the, uh, the Council of Elders. I do know the panel you're talking about. It looks like she is either making little kitty cat claws or air quotes. As she is saying, I shall hear no more, Elder. Get out before I have you all dismissed from office. Do you think she's doing scare quotes around that because dismissed from office means murdered? Yeah, there's that where I was like, what is she What is she gesticulating? Um, and then the panel that's below that in the center of the page. And this is another exchange. Maybe you can help me clear up. So Elderwood Headband is saying, you know, you're arrogant and unworthy and you believe violence is, you know, correct response to everything. But uh, you're a good administrator. And she kind of goes, ooh. <laughs> like, but is that what's happening? It is the weirdest thing. Because after that, then she's like, okay, okay, I'll, I'll do what you want. Yeah, she is all over the map in terms of her emotional response. And maybe that is what he is reacting to is just like, wow, you are just like doing lion face, lemon face at me for three panels. Given that we are on a planet which is ruled by emotions and believes that they can never be wrong. You are a tremendous leader. So I know you're kind of murdery, and you did try to kill our beloved king who we all love, even though we all think he was doing a bad job and made us feel shitty about ourselves. Um, you should be running this joint. Well, you should be running this joint, but your sociopathy must be tempered by cowardice. So we're going to make sure that your dad is there to give you advice and piss you off the whole time. Yeah, yeah, nothing tempers a uh, sociopathy like mediocrity and bad jobbedness. Yeah, especially when it comes from a parental figure. That is just going to chill everybody out and take the edges off any kind of a bad temper. Yeah, I got to tell you, I think Starfire really had the right idea because she was like, I am fucking out. Yeah. Later. Like, good luck, everybody. See you later, my husband, Captain Papadopoulos. Maybe you can go back to your old girlfriend. Like, wow, what a lucky lady. <laughs> yeah, that that part, too, I, I seem to remember from the earlier in the story that their marriage was somehow like a lot harder to break. But essentially, she just says, I'm done, and, and takes off. 
Yeah, it is very, very odd because it, it gives the impression that she could have just been like, yeah, I'm not feeling this at any point after the initial ceremony where it had been established. Like part of the ceremony was them like literally Voltroning into a single being. Mm -hmm. And then they have a deep and unbreakable spiritual bond so that even though the entire necessity for the marriage in the first place is completely invalidated within seconds after their marriage, they can never go back on it, despite the fact that she is in love with somebody else. I mean, I had definitely gotten the impression that Tamaranians were like swans in that they are beautiful and surprisingly aggressive and mate for life. It does seem definitely off that then she is just like, eh, this is silly, bye. Why don't you go back to that other lady? Yeah, I actually felt for Papadopoulos there because he does say it. He's he's grown to love her. Mm -hmm. And she's just like, no, man, I'm not feeling it. Peace out. Yep. Bye. Yeah, I honestly thought he was going to die at the end of this story. I didn't really see any other way out of this. Like how the marriage would be annulled, you mean? Yeah, because it seemed like that was a necessary thing that was going to have to happen. Either she was going to stay on Tamaran or she was going to go back to Earth, which I think we all saw coming at some point that she would be rejoining the Teen Titans. I really thought she was going to be doing so as a widow because it had established previously, I had thought that divorce is not really an option on Tamaran and that it couldn't just be a marriage in name only because of the like soul bonding element to it. Mm -hmm. So that was a little bit of a swerve. Indeed. And I'm not entirely disappointed. I don't hate Captain Papadopoulos. I didn't necessarily want him to die. But uh, a little bit honestly unsatisfying that he didn't. Or that there wasn't any, like, explanation of why it's okay for them to get a divorce now. Yep. I guess just uh, shifting Tamaranian values. <laughs> I guess so. So Blackfire's face and hand gestures was one thing that I noticed and another one so Starfire is flying around and like dodging everybody trying not to kill anybody right this is when she's trying to fight battles in like the cities of Garam Masala and Kai Yan and Vanilla Extra Act or wherever mm -hmm. yeah and she gets back and she's landing with Papadopoulos and, and her party you know before they go into this cave where they're hiding out and as she's Making her descent, Papadopoulos raises his arms over his head triumphantly and shouts, How did everything go? <laughs> Which makes no sense. Okay, maybe it's not a victorious raising both hands over his head. Maybe he is checking his pits because his romantic partner is returning and he's been fighting really hard. So he's like, oh, how bad do I stink? Uh, let me check this armpit and this armpit. Uh, okay, I think I'm good. How did everything go? Uh, and then just like playing it, playing it cool. I'm just airing out <laughs> my pits here. That's all. Right. I think Starfire appreciates that. That's that's a kind thing to do. He's got some crazy boots on too. They remind me of those. Like, um, is that like a, a raver thing? That's like they're furry on the top. Oh, the like UGG boots. Yeah, but that like are super puffy towards the ankle. Yeah, I think he's just wearing regular Ugg boots, but we do see, yeah, they have the fur-lined bit at the top, kind of like He-Man boots, too. His whole outfit is all over the map. Like, if it's cold enough that you need to wear fur on your boots, then, I don't know, maybe put a shirt on? 
Yeah, and you wouldn't need to air dry your armpits either. Right. He's got that weird, like, instead of a shirt, he's just got the bandolier and necklace. Mm -hmm. And then the head buttress thing. Head buttress. Like he's maybe going to be doing some sparring later. Mm. His whole outfit is weird, but we do see, and you know what, Let, let's uh, wait, we'll bring that up in the sartorially speaking, because there is another set of fur-lined boots that we see briefly. Oh yeah. Well, honestly, it's a pretty straightforward story, so I'm sure there's a lot more that'll come up in the minutia, but is there anything else you want to bring up before we get to the minutia? I guess the only bit is Starfire does make a point of bringing up what's come up in the past, but really, I feel like came to a head in this issue of really no longer feeling Tamaranian because she's been away longer than she's been there, but also not quite fitting in back on Earth and, you know, struggling with that part of her identity. Where do I belong? Who am I? Mm -hmm. Not a Tamaranian, but not yet an Earthling. Yeah, I can understand that. It is weird that it was well on Tamaran in the throes of a bloodthirsty battle that she would reach the conclusion that, oh, you know what, Dick is right. I do now feel like murdering people is wrong. Yep, guess she just had to get into the thick of it for that to uh, stick. Yeah, kind of a, oh, you like killing people, do you? Well, you go out behind the barn and I'm going to watch while you kill this whole army of people. When she does get back to Earth, do you think Dick is going to play it off like him being a sulky jerk was the result of the brother blood brainwashing? I feel like that's going to be his go-to excuse for everything that he's done for the past five years now. Yeah, I think that came up in the, the last issue when we were talking about like, oh, great, now he's got an out <laughs> for like all this shitty behavior. Yeah. So entirely possible. Hey, I was brainwashed. And you know what? I still probably am, which is why I'm still doing this. Mm -hmm. I guess Brother Blood must have programmed me to ignore the chore wheel. Weird. Yeah, now I'm going to go drink some coffee and sulk. It's not your birthday. Like it's my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> I just noticed in my notes I was referring to Blackfire as a weak flightless child. Ouch! <laughs> that was because of like that was how she was saying that her her parents thought of her but now that i see it written out i'm like oh that is really harsh yeah are you trying to audition for yourself as winning the bozone segment <laughs> no man just taking notes all right and now on to the minutia rick would you mind singing us in we got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Cory eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. Yes. So, Cory, what do you feel like starting off with? Oh, man. Let's just start at the top. Did you have Starfire for both Aqualad and Beast Boy on account of her being the only Titan in the book, or did you find some clever way around this? I found a clever way around it. I have her just as my worst because I think that technically he is a teenager and he is fighting alongside her and he has superpowers. So I'm making Reander an honorary Teen Titan. Oh shit, I forgot about the proximity loophole. Yeah, in the Teen Titans one, it only works for teens, but uh, I think Reander qualifies. Hmm. He's young at heart, if nothing else. Well, I think he's Starfire's younger brother, isn't he? Oh, is he younger? I guess so. I'm pretty sure. 
And honestly, I thought he did a really good job. He tried to kind of temper Starfire's rage when mm-hmm. he could. Mm-hmm. But mostly, at the end, we see he's giving her a ride to Earth. Just like a few issues ago, he gave Dick a ride back to Earth. So he is that friend that everyone asks for rides to the airport. And mm-hmm. good for him. That's a great guy to be, and so he is my Aqualad. That's awesome. Yeah, he's like the one responsible person that will like give everybody rides home from the party who, who didn't drink. Exactly. They're too hopped up on their sullenly nursed cup of coffee. So uh, <laughs> I'm going to fly the spaceship home. Plus, we saw the one time they let Captain Papadopoulos pick somebody up on Earth. It took him like four months to get there or whatever. And it seems like uh, Reander knows some shortcuts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, solid choice. I didn't come up with that loophole, so I, I did have her for both roles. And the reasons that I gave at the high level were she left when she should have. I mean, she left way later than she should have, but she left. Yeah. <laughs> so that was good. And then the bad was pretty much everything else, but mostly killing a bunch of people and starting a war over a, a personal grudge. Yep. I agree. And I mean, it's not that I don't sympathize with her. For one thing, I mean, as much as this past arc has mitigated Blackfire and some of her choices and tried to justify that she is going to be a good leader now, despite being a bad person, she is a bad and evil person. And I can understand thinking that Bad and evil people shouldn't run countries or planets. So, you know, I don't think the fact that for a little under a month, she's been a little bit less bloodthirsty and has set up some kind of a Tamaranian New Deal, that's good. But I don't think it necessarily makes her a qualified leader. And especially when, you know, she did sell her sister into slavery, which I I mean... In that case, is just a family tradition, selling Starfire into slavery to advance your own goals. They could have that PSA where she's like, I learned it from watching you, King Dillweed. But it's still not to be applauded. Yep. And I can understand Starfire being like, no, fuck you. You don't get to run a planet. But yeah, overall, she does a very bad job in this issue. And I think her trying to restore an idealized version of Tamaran, which never was, is not a good look. Yeah, I agree. That said, one thing that I did really appreciate about this whole story was it's kind of embracing the moral ambiguity of, you know, how power works. Yeah. There was right on both sides of the equation, and there wasn't really a good outcome either way. Well, not if you're going to have a fucking monarchy. I mean, I think maybe that's the rule. That's the point of this. Ah. Monarchy is fucked up. Maybe you shouldn't let kings and royal families run everything. Mm -hmm. Maybe let that fucking headband dude be in charge who wants to run a reality show in the royal house. You know what? Actually, maybe don't let him be in charge. (laughs) No, no. But, you know, somebody else. Yeah, this was a pro-democracy issue, I guess, just subtly. Yeah, or at the very least, anti-monarchy. Mm-hmm. Sartorially speaking, which elements of fashion in this issue did you find most noteworthy? Oh man, there was a lot. I think my favorite was probably uh, Captain Tyrus. Which one was he? 
So he's the guy that is the medical transport ship captain who smuggled uh, Dillweed and company back to Tamaran. And it's sort of like a green and yellow getup that the, the rest of the, the crew has. And it's very, very 80s sci-fi. And also he's got a pretty badass handlebar mustache. He looks like a cool dude. Yeah, I thought that was pretty good. I did also notice they got some kind of a magic space helmet going on that is part of that outfit because we see King Dillweed with and without that helmet on. And with the helmet on, he looks like a normal dude. And then he takes it off and he's got like a solid extra four feet of hair that instantly volumizes out of it as soon as the hat is removed. Oh, yeah. I'm sure that's a basic Tamaranian technology. There's a lot of big-haired people on that planet and a lot of small helmets, so they figured out some way to make it work. Yeah, they had to develop that technology before they could develop space travel. Mm -hmm. I wonder if that was the big hang-up towards the end. Could be. And, uh, sorry, just one more thing on those uniforms. They have a external kind of uh, codpiece utility belt, which is kind of a weird look but definitely seems like safe if they get into a rochambeau situation yeah i mean also if there's a single area that you want to have extra shielding against cosmic radiation i think that'd be it <laughs> yeah it's a neat looking spacesuit i like it and i think yes a uh armor plated jock strap is probably the way to go yeah because dillweed anyway has kind of yoga pants on under it and enormous boots kind of a weird look but he he pulls it off Agreed. Yeah, as much as I hate King Dillweed, I really do like his beard and hair combo. And in general, fashion-wise, he's pretty on point. Yep. For other fashion, gosh, I think my favorite is on, I'm again not sure exactly what page it is, I think 17 or 18, but it is when King Dillweed and Starfire's Carta Mom are talking to the headband elder. Oh my gosh, Is, did you have Ren Fair Space Rambo also? <laughs> oh, uh, I think that's a good thing to call him. I called him the uh, backgammon-sleeved swashbuckler, but yes, same guy. <laughs> same guy, nice. <laughs> yeah, he's just rad-looking. My eye was just drawn to him. He's got a nice mustache and a headband that you have the long-hanging tie on coming mm -hmm. down in the back. And in addition to that, he's got some nice brown robes that have a half cape collar that goes just down beyond his shoulders that look like it has like rivets on it almost. And then some floppy sleeves that have like backgammon triangles on them. Whole thing's done in brown. He's got some nice big uh, hoop earrings. And uh, yeah, just a good looking backgammon pirate. Mm -hmm. Or as you put it, Renfair Space Rambo. Yep. Solid choice. Other than that, not sure if this counts entirely as fashion, but the uh, the bald headband elder that we've been talking about a bunch has this big golden staff looking thing that looks like it has a golden half sunflower on top of it. And I have a specific theory about that stick that uh, I think we will get to in the next category. Which is... President of the Drama Club. Ah. Corey, which character did you see as acting, or rather overacting, in the most dramatic fashion in this issue? Who did you have as your president of the Drama Club? Gosh, for me, 
it was a pretty close contest between Blackfire and Starfire. Blackfire, I think, definitely has her beat on the gesticulations. Like, there's lots of fists and the air quotes and all of that going on. But what cinched it for me was the closing panel where Starfire is looking out the window on the way home and just staring out into space and crying Mm. quietly. It was very, very dramatic. It really is. Although, yeah, the fact that she was doing it quietly, I think, makes it a little bit less dramatic and more just emotional. I think both of them are very solid choices for that category. We talked about some of the hand gestures that Blackfire was making, and both of them definitely had their emotions. They were wearing them on their non-backgammon triangle sleeves, the whole issue. It is also interesting to me that at one point, I think Starfire says, like, it's now my turn to kill you. And you realize that (laughs) for the past little while, they have been kind of taking turns. Mm -hmm. Well, Blackfire definitely did try to kill Starfire that one time and thought that she had. And then Starfire did try to kill Blackfire and thought that she had. And then Blackfire did think she, yeah, it is Starfire's turn. I thought that was kind of fun. But ultimately, for my president of the drama club, I had to go with the bald headband elder guy. Hmm. Let's call him Oregon O. (laughs) My theory about that big golden staff that he has with the half gold sunflower on top is that it is not in fact a staff. I think the reason we never see the bottom end of that thing is because it is a giant spoon. And that is his toilet spoon, because that dude just lives to stir up shit. Oh my goodness. He can't get enough of it. I cannot think of another reason why he would say, well, you're both terrible leaders, so how about you live together? Starfire's main problem is that she's too angry all the time, so let's put her disapproving bigoted father in a house with her. There is no reason to do that other than to stir up shit, and that is a very drama club move. Uh, So I am giving Oregon O my choice as president of the drama club. Yeah, that's a a solid choice, and congratulations on coining the toilet spoon. (laughs) I think maybe we've got our next sponsor (laughs) lined up. If there's a manufacturer of toilet spoons out there for drama club kids who just love to stir up shit, let me know. And, you know, send us some money. Yeah, we are probably the only podcast that has used the phrase toilet spoon. Let's hope so. So this was a very difficult category for me. Uh, Were you able to find a timestamp? Oof. It was a stretch, but... So you'll remember Captain Tyrus of the medical ship. I had the fact that his collar was popped in such an extreme manner as being a a callback to what was going on in the the late 80s. That was my timestamp. I think that is a good choice, and it was difficult to find one. Yes, his space collar definitely bears the motto Ad Astra ever skyward. That thing is headed for the stars, Mm -hmm. and it's taking Captain Tyrus with it. Nice. I couldn't really find one in the text. Uh, I mean, I guess we could make the statement that maybe the Conan homage 
is in keeping with the fact that it was the mid-80s and everybody was eagerly awaiting the Conan the King film that never happened. Mm. And I was going to go with that, but I decided to go with, you read this online so you didn't get any of the in-house ads, is that correct? That is correct. On the back page of the issue, there is an ad for a comic book called Angel Love. And it shows the titular character of that. It is a very cartoonishly drawn, like maybe even a little bit more cartoonishly than Archie drawn image of a young woman with a kind of punky haircut with a rat tail and some heart-shaped gold jewelry. And she is the title character of the comic book, Angel Love. And then it shows three panels from the comic. The first panel is Angel Love kissing a dude with a mullet. The second panel is a tiny, even more cartoonishly than her drawn angel that appears on her shoulder and says, I'm Halo and I'm your guardian angel. And the third one is a close-up of her eyes. They are circles with another tiny circle in the middle of that and a tinier circle for a pupil in the middle of that. And she is saying the word cocaine! Question mark, exclamation point. <laughs> and that little panel where it is a wide-eyed young woman with a rat tail saying cocaine is such a 1986 move that that had to get my bid for timestamp, even though it is technically extra textual. Fair enough. I really want to read that comic book now, too. It is paradise. <laughs> What was your favorite panel, Corey? Gosh, this was a tough one. There was so much good art in this book. I had three of them that are vying for the top position. I think probably I'm going to go with the most explosive of them, which is would be somewhere around page 15, and that's the full-page explosion after Starfire blows up that munitions dump. It is a gorgeous panel. It captures the confusion of the scene and the carnage that is caused. It took me a few times looking at it to tell that it was a, like, helicopter shot that is, like, directly looking down on a city. But, yeah, it is gorgeous. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the perspective in it must have been so challenging to get right. Yeah, and really an innovative choice for doing that, too. No, I agree. That was one of my options, too. What did you uh, have as your front runner? I think my favorite... We've talked about it briefly, but it is on page, I think, 20, and it is just the sisters fighting each other, and they both have tears coming out of their eyes and snot coming out of their noses. Uh, I am left to assume that it is snot coming out of their noses because we did previously see blood coming out of Starfire's nose in a similar way, and that was very much colored in red. This is clear, so I'm assuming it is emotion snot coming out of her nose and Blackfire's nose as Starfire pulls her sister's hair back and prepares to punch her in the face. It is just a gritty and super emotionally charged fight scene moment, and it is so well done. Yeah, definitely packed with emotion. What else did you have? I had another one that was kind of the precursor to that, and I called it Sister mm -hmm. Punch. And it's in the upper right panel, and it's one where Starfire has just got this, this really mean kind of right cross, and 
Blackfire's reeling from it, but the background has that alternating like orange, black, and yellow sunburst pattern to it. Mm-hmm. It's just really graphically it pops. You know, it looks like uh, it would go on the poster or something. Very cool. Yeah, that is really nicely done. And she looks mad as hell. Yeah, that's the one where she's telling her sister, you hated everyone who was in your way. It didn't matter who it was or why. Kapow. Yep, that's the one. Any others? Yeah, there was one that was reminiscent of uh, Perez's style, in my opinion, and it's the one where they are in the, I guess, like, spaceship hangar towards the beginning of the book, around page eight. Um, There's, like, a guy Mm -hmm. with a screwdriver working on some engines in the background, and there's just so much detail with all of the spacecraft and machinery, and uh, my eye was just really drawn to that panel and kind of lingered on all the details. Yeah, that is absolutely beautiful. Eduardo Barreto and Romeo Tangal just did an amazing job on this whole issue. There's another one that I wanted to highlight on page 25, and uh, I actually meant to bring this up in the sartorially speaking as well, but the panel is set up in a really interesting way. It is when Blackfire and Starfire's cardamom is giving them both the little lecture about how they need to stop fighting and be a happy family. The panel is set up where the image is shown kind of through Cardamom's legs, and you see that Starfire and Blackfire are below her. But then also, you see a close-up of Cardamom's face from between her own legs. It's set up as a montage thing, and it shouldn't work, but it does, and it's really cool looking. Do you know the panel I'm talking about? It is bizarre. Yeah, I do. You see she's got, like, again, the kind of yoga pants, and it's like the bottom half of her butt is the top of the panel. Yeah. And then the right side of the panel is a close-up of her face. Mm -hmm. It's just really innovatively laid out. And like I said, it seems like it shouldn't work, but it really does. You also see that she is wearing like stiletto Ugg boots, which is a weird choice. Yeah. Yeah. She tells her daughters to play nice and stop murdering each other. Yeah. The Tamaranians have a lot going for them, but... Sensible footwear choices is not one of those things. No. Things they are good at are hairstyles. Mm -hmm. Things they are bad at is government and footwear. Yep, that's fair. They also seem to be pretty bad at not selling their daughters into slavery and not being ableist fucks. So, Mm -hmm. you know, a few things to work on. Yeah. But hey, great hair. Nice architecture. Oh, yeah. Good point. Well, Corey, I think it's time we took this party to the Bozone. What instance of one character calling another character a bozo, either literally or metaphorically, do you want to highlight? I'd say my favorite and also the only one that I noticed was on what might be page 16, and it's Blackfire calling everybody who Starfire is beating up in the munitions dump incompetent dolts. All of them. I agree. Specifically, she is calling the recently murdered soldiers that Starfire killed incompetent dolts. God, she's such a jerk. The plant was guarded by my finest warriors, many of whom just perished. Incompetent dolts, all of them. I think what a jerk she is in that statement is really driven home by the fact that that is spelled out with flat periods, no exclamation points. That is just a matter-of-fact statement on her part, not an emotional one. Mm -hmm. That's especially telling in that it is a comic book, which is 
notorious for overusing exclamation points. Yeah, I had the same one. Incompetent dolts. Yeah. All of them. So cold. Yeah, an ignoble eulogy if ever I've heard one. Well, Corey, I have but one final question I must put to you. Waput! In the year of our Lord, 1987, as we do go by the date of the reprint, and the month of our Lord, November, what was Aqualad probably up to, Corey? Waput! Yeah, that is, as always, an excellent question. Thank you. You're welcome. So, among Aqualad's many interests are the warm and fuzzy feeling that he gets when he has baked something awesome and shared it with his friends or former teammates. Aww. Yeah. And lately, he's just been on this real kick about hand pies. So these are pies that have ground-up hands as the filling, right? Oh, no, no, no. You misunderstand me. So... Uh, also known as a Welsh pasty or pasty. So you're saying that Welsh people eat human hands? St- still no. Allow oh. me Allow me to, to finish. I'll shed some okay, light sorry, on it. Okay, sorry, sorry. It's okay. So people that were uh, in Wales working in the mines didn't have time to come up for lunch, and so they needed a you know kind of portable, hearty food that was easy to eat. And so they came up with a hand pie, which is sort of like a, a small calzone. Okay. Usually filled with uh, lamb and uh, leek, sometimes potatoes, things like that. So Aqualad was just fascinated by this, wanted to basically go to the source. And so he was in South Wales doing some recipe research on pasties, you know, thinking like, hey, I can bring these back to the team. They're busy fighting crime. They could eat a hand pie um, at the same time. It'd be great. And then uh, maybe for dinner, I can make the bigger cousin of the hand pie called the giant Augie, Ooh. which is like a, basically a Welsh, like a, again, like a calzone. So anyway, he's there doing his research, getting some great recipes, eating a ton of hand pies, none of them made with actual hands. And then he learns a sequel to one of his absolute favorite movies is going to be out and soon. And that is Teen Wolf 2, T-O-O, uh, starring a young Jason Bateman. That was uh, going to premiere on the 20th. So he was like, oh, no, I need to book a flight as soon as I can and uh, get home. So I'm not going to miss the premiere of this movie that I'm so excited about. What he ended up doing was hopping on the high-speed train that went between uh, London and South Wales. And it just wasn't going fast enough. He was getting stressed out. He was going to miss his flight, needed to you know, get to Heathrow as quickly as possible. So he brought a batch of his finest hand pies up to the conductor and was like, hey, man, I will give you this entire basket of these hand pies if you can just push this thing to the max. Like, let's go. And sure enough, that train set the world record for the year of 1987 at 148 miles per hour traveling between Wales and uh, London. Wow. Good job, Aqualad. He made it home, caught the movie, thought it was awesome. Really? Wanted to go out and get himself a pair of boxing gloves afterwards. (laughs) So, yeah. I mean, you know, to each his own. Let's just say that. Uh, (laughs) It's no Teen Wolf. No, that's true. (laughs) I think I'm with you on that, but, you know, it's Aqualad's thing, so whatever. I remember two things about that movie. First of all, it had John Astin in it. Uh, who played Gomez Adams in the old Adams Family show. He was the main bad guy in it. And second of all, there is a character who illustrates that she is a scientist by saying at one point, technically, a wolf is a mammal. Technically. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> not to, to argue sp- with that. That's just good science. Not to split hairs, but uh, <laughs> technically, that movie sucked. Yep. Sorry, Aqualad. Well, it's interesting 
that both films and the UK came up in yours because that was a bit of a theme for Aqualad's November. Mm. You see, he was very excited because he was treated to an advanced viewing of Three Men and a Baby. (laughs) Wow. Very, very exciting. And I got to say, he loved the movie. You got Gutenberg, Selleck, and Danson. What's not to like? Mm-hmm. Aqualad, actually, when he was attending the preview screening, he put on some special shoes that he had made that had pictures of Sam Malone on them, and he called them his dancing shoes. Oh. So uh, he was pretty excited about this Oh, premiere. my gosh. He was just through the roof about it and you know, talked to the director, one Leonard Nimoy, and was like, oh, man, do you, is there going to be a sequel? There's got to be a sequel, right? And Nimoy was like, yes, we're actually working on Three Men and a Little Lady. We've got a script that we're pretty happy about. And Aqualad is like, oh, can, can you just let me see it? Can you let me see the script of this? I got to know how this turns out. And, you know, Nimoy was a little bit starstruck. And he uh, he's like, okay, Aqualad, here you go. Well, Aqualad read it, and he saw that it took place in England. And so he called a few of the friends that he had made when he was down in the uh, Welsh countryside and told them, you know what, guys? You're going to love this. They're going to film Three Men and a Little Lady in the UK. Now, the people Aqualad talked to were both excited about this, but a little bit worried. See, they could not wait to see Tom Selleck, Steve Gutenberg, and Ted Danson. But they also were aware of what having three men with that degree of handsomeness in their country might lead to, which is why on November 13th, the first condom commercial in the UK aired on the BBC. (laughs) (laughs) Because if Gutenberg, Danson, and Selleck are all going to be in the same place, you better have some protection ready. Wow. And that is what Aqualad was probably up to. Oh my, what a busy busy month for the young superhero. Indeed. I mean, safety first. Always. Well, thanks so much for coming back and joining us again, Corey. I I missed talking to you these past few weeks. Likewise. We will be back next week with a Defenders issue. And we will be back in two weeks with another new Teen Titans. I think we might have to dip back and hit one of the annuals that we missed. But we'll figure out exactly what that's going to be. If you would like to get into touch with us, say maybe... You're the inventor of the toilet spoon and need to uh, buy some airtime with us. Or you just have a question or comment for us. We can be reached at Tighten Up the Defense, P.O. Box 20311, Portland, Oregon, 97294. As this is the future, we can also be reached electronically at ttwasteland at gmail.com. We're also up in many other aspects of the internet on social media, all the places you might expect to find us and a few you might not. So why not just type in Tighten Up the Defense, that's T-I-T-A-N, into your computer space and see what you can cyber log onto, Space Cowboy, (laughs) Cyber Cowboy, whatever kind of cowboy you are, or cowgirl, or cow, or, I don't know, I guess it doesn't have to be bovine-related or gender-related. Whoever you are, Jack into the net. (laughs) That's our motto. If you would like to support the show financially, 
A great way to do that is to check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash ttwasteland. If you do, you get access to a ton of bonus material. I've been making a lot of little videos where I do reviews of classic comic books. Most recently, I just talked about the women's lib issue of Wonder Woman. That's Wonder Woman 203, which is by science fiction author Samuel Delaney and with art by Dick Giordano. And I went on pretty long on that one because it's a fascinating comic. But there's a bunch of those up there. I've been averaging four or five of those a week. There is also the monthly podcast what the duck a podcast most foul but with a w because he's a duck that's the full name of the show that's the howard the duck podcast that i host with my wife lisa that's available for all of our donors at any level and there's just a bunch of other bonus stuff other podcast recordings and other bonus video and audio material for you to check out that is exclusive content for our donors so yeah, if you would like to check that material out, you can donate to us on Patreon. For the month of June, all of our donations went to the National Bail Fund, uh, and then Lisa and I are going to send a matching amount to local anti-racism charities. So that is why we are sending out a check for $700 to the National Bail Fund, and over the next week or so, we're going to get some other checks in the mail to some other good causes. And... That's thanks to you donors, so thank you. If you would like to support the show non-monetarily, uh, you can do so by leaving us a review on a place you can leave reviews. It's a good way to help people find the show. Let's see if I can find a recent one. Let's see. I rolls up, says, enjoy, enjoy, five stars. My father was never really a comic book fan, but he was an artist. And occasionally he would buy a random comic book off the newsstand so that he could use the cover or a panel as a reference for a pose that he wanted to paint. He would then pass the comics on to me, who would read them over and over and over. Several of these comics were issues of the Defenders. It's been a delight hearing these bizarre issues, which raise so many questions in my young mind, put into proper context. I mean, they're still bizarre, but they make a little more sense. Not much, let me stress, but a little. Hub and Quarry are a delight to listen to, and the Patreon specials with Lisa are a particular favorite of mine because they remind me so much of my wife and myself. Listen, and you won't regret it. And perhaps we will soon all know the answer to a question that has plagued me for 40 years now, a question about wings and ears. Perhaps then, when Hub and Quarry reach issue number 78, it will make perfect sense. But I doubt it. Well, we'll find the answer to that out next week. I rolls up. Thanks. And in conclusion, I think that you're not incompetent dolts. None of you. Here, here. All right. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.